0: Well do you have Daniel chapter 3 open? Uh, some years ago, uh, when I was working, a good number of years ago actually, I was um, given a, a Christmas present by a work colleague. It was a book, a book that is hailed the unofficial General Electric Leadership Handbook. Here it is. Well, it's quite a manual. <laughs> I put most of my reading into the Bible. I'm not a big reader, and I certainly wasn't going to read this book. But when it was given to me, um, I I read the blurb on the back, and I can tell you it's all about Jack Welsh. Uh, Jack Welsh was one of the most successful businessmen of the 20th century. He worked for General Electric, and I think he increased the company value by some 4,000%. The title of the book, Control Your Destiny, or someone else will. Control your destiny, or someone else will. It's said to be a fascinating read, and I'm sure there is some good leadership advice in it. But for me in my office that day, I sat there appreciating the gift that someone had thought of me and bought me a Christmas present, but I thought, you know, this book is absolutely no use to me whatsoever. As a Christian, I know that God is in control of my destiny. And actually, I know that God is in control of the destiny of every man or woman. But I also thought to myself, do you know what, I might keep hold of it, because there might uh, be an occasion where I will use it as an introduction to the message (laughs) from the Bible. So I have never read this book, but I have used it once or twice, such as tonight, where I just think it is wholly appropriate You see, that is the world's advice. Control your destiny or someone else will. And I don't think it's just uh, advice given to business leaders, is it? I think there's lots of counsel about relationships. Let, Let me teach you how you can get control in your relationship. I think on the sports field, there's lots of advice. Let me teach you how you can win. You can control your destiny on the sports field. I think it's what our children are taught actually at school. Dream. Dream big. And if you work hard enough, if you try hard enough, you'll achieve your dream. You can do it. Control your destiny or someone else will. Who controls your destiny? How would you answer that I pray that you would answer it as I would answer and say, Almighty God controls my destiny. But how does that answer, if that is the answer you're able to give this evening, how does that answer impact your life, that God controls your destiny? Because when we read this passage about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, it is so clear, isn't it, who controlled their destiny And their faith that they lived out. Look at verse 17. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. And this knowledge that God controlled their destiny, it massively impacted their lives. Verse 18. But if not, do you know, even if God chooses not to save us, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, Nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Here are three young men, if you're not familiar with this account of Daniel, who have been taken captive. Three Jewish young men with a real faith in the living God. And they're now living far from home. They've likely been separated from their family. And they're in a foreign country which worships lots of foreign gods. Not an easy environment, <laughs> and, and sometimes I can read this passage in Daniel chapter 3 and think, Do you know what, it actually doesn't feel too dissimilar to what Christians face today in Britain. You know, lots of us may be living uh, with our families, uh, and perhaps we're living in the, the country of our birth, unlike Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but we are living in a time in Britain where not many people are interested at all in the one true God of the Bible. And our society, our secular culture, is littered with idols that are worshipped. Career, relationship, houses, cars, experiences. I could go on, couldn't I? TV, social media, sports, the Premier League. And it's starting to take real courage to live out our faith. So how do we do it? How can we show the world that we know God controls our destiny? Well, there's lots of ways you can look at this passage, but that's how I want to look at it this evening. I want us to look at the example of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and think, well, how can I learn from them so that my friends and family my neighbours, those that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, how can I show them that God is in control of my destiny? I've got four tips, pointers. They're not... They're not four instructions. Four instructions, that would be better, because this is God's work on how we do that. And the first is this. The first is this. Little steps of faith prepare us for bigger steps of faith. Little steps of faith prepare us for bigger steps of faith. You see, the courage that we read of here in Daniel chapter 3 from Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, when you read the whole of Daniel, you realise this isn't a sudden change of heart. They didn't wake up this morning and say, well, this is the day I'm going to live out my faith in God. Forget all the other days, today's the day I'm going to go gung-ho, I'm not going to worship this statue. I don't think that happened. Because if you know the book of Daniel, and we haven't got time to read it, well, I'd love to, you know, sometimes I think we we should just sit on a Sunday evening and just read God's word to one another. Um, That is is the best thing. Sometimes us preachers just get in the way and let God's word speak. But Daniel chapter 1, some of you will be familiar with it. It tells the account of when these uh, three bright young men, as well as Daniel, uh, the main character in the book, uh, these four men of faith, it talks about one of their first... Um, experiences in Babylon. They've been selected by King Nebuchadnezzar. He's told um, uh, his commanders, pick out the bright men um, of the nations that we capture because I want them to serve in the palace. And so Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are are, are picked out. These are bright young men. And what happens is, is pretty early on, that they're offered the king's very best food. And we're not told much about this food. It may well have been that this food had been sacrificed to idols before. But they're offered the the food from the king's table uh, in their period of training, and they're also offered the the king's wine. Uh, And maybe these four Jewish men have taken a Nazarite vow, or or they're just very determined, no, we're not going to drink. We don't know all the ins and outs of Daniel chapter 1, but what we do know from verse 8 in chapter 1 is that behind Daniel's lead-in, Daniel approaches the chief eunuch and said, now, we're going to defile ourselves before God if we eat this food and drink this wine. Can you give us vegetables and water? Test us after 10 days. If we look worse, then we'll go back to eating that stuff. <laughs> but if we look fine, we'll stay on the vegetables and water See, right at the beginning, they take this smaller step of faith behind Daniel's lead but to challenge the status quo. They probably risk being punished, but it's a smaller step of faith. And they prepare us, you see, for bigger steps of faith. By the time we come to chapter 3, the scale of the challenge to, to live live out their faith is immense. And I just want to pause for a moment. I don't even want to talk about the burning, fiery furnace because also what happens between Daniel chapter 1 and chapter 3 is that these men who have been taken captive and are told to to serve in the palace and go through a period of training, well, it goes quite well for them, actually, because in verse 19, the end of chapter 1, we read, Then the king interviewed them, that is plural, interviews all these wise men, And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's their Jewish names. Therefore, they served before the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got some of the best jobs in the kingdom. The kind of job you would go and tell your mum and dad about, I've just got appointed, I'm serving the king. And then there's more, you see. In chapter 2, Daniel interprets a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And in verse 49 we read also Daniel petitioned the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Promotion. I remember ringing my grandparents when I was first promoted. They're promoted. Bigger salary. I don't know what they had in those days. I was trying to think maybe a company chariot or something. I don't know. (laughs) You see in chapter 1, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego behind Daniel challenged a royal official, and risked being punished. Here in chapter 3, this time without Daniel, they directly opposed the king, and they were willing to give up their careers, their far more comfortable lifestyles, and even their lives, to live out their faith. You see, often when we look at heroes of the faith, whether in the Bible, or whether we look at times uh, since the Bible, We think of maybe Martin Luther, or George Whitfield, Susanna Wesley, Amy Carmichael, Charles Spurgeon, John Calvin. If if you read their accounts, and we're just going through them, aren't we, Sam, at home, reading biographies of, of Christians since the Bible. We do Bible time in the morning, at the moment we're going through Christian biographies. They take us to the Bible anyway. But it is so encouraging. I see it in my children's faces to see, actually, no, this God didn't, didn't stop working in his people at the end of uh, the book of Acts and through the letters of the early church. No, he's, he's been working through the centuries. But what they find is, <coughs> is that often these men or women of great faith, it started small. They took a little step. They trusted God over a little matter. And their faith grew. And God prepared them to take big steps of faith. It starts with little steps. You see, God uses smaller steps of faith to prepare us for bigger steps ahead. How many of us are still taking little steps of faith? How many of us need to perhaps take our first steps of faith? The first step for some might be tomorrow morning when we're asked at school when we're asked in the office or by our neighbour, how was your weekend? Well, we immediately have a choice, don't we? I remember praying about this when I was going to the office because you always know by the coffee machine on a Monday morning, you'll be asked, how was your weekend? It's just polite, isn't it? And I've got a choice. Do I talk to them about how we, we lost at football on the Saturday? <laughs> that used to be the case. <laughs> but I enjoyed it with some good brothers. Or do I, do I talk to them about how we met up with the family? Or actually, do I say, actually, we had a really blessed time at church yesterday. Actually, I learned a little bit more about God yesterday. A little step of faith. We're so worried, aren't we? What will they say? What will they do if they know I'm a Christian? And then we realize, actually, when we take that first step of faith, we just feel the peace of God in our hearts because we know we've served him. And actually, the reaction that we're fearing doesn't always materialize. And maybe there's a further opportunity. It's so important as we walk the Christian life to never stop taking small steps of faith because we never know when the big challenges are going to come. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, I doubt they, they knew that actually when this gold statue was being built they oh, were going to be forced to bow down and worship that. But they were ready when it did occur. Exercise faith. Little steps of faith prepare us for big steps. Maybe some of us have got bigger steps coming this week. Well, God would have prepared us to take those steps of faith through the little steps. That's one. Secondly, living out our faith, it involves no compromise. No compromising. Nebuchadnezzar, in terms of his kingship, his wealth, his perceived power, it's immense. Do you know, I think you can still go to the, today to the, the British Museum and you can see evidence of the kingdom of Babylon. There's bits that have been kept or found and have been moved across to England. Such was the the greatness of his kingdom in the world's eyes. And at the start of chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar's pride, well it comes to the fore, doesn't it? He makes this huge golden statue and he just demands everyone, you've got to bow down to this statue. Pay homage to me. Now we live in a different culture at a different time, but I think if we're honest, (laughs) I don't think much has changed. In fact, I could argue that we're more used to seeing celebrities and sports stars worship today than maybe 600 BC. Some people pay a huge amount to see their favourite performers live. People queue to get autographs. Many follow their favourite stars on Instagram or, uh, it's not Twitter anymore, is it, X, (laughs) Elon Musk, X what's my favourite person saying today? What can I learn from them? First thing in the morning, oh, what's, what's my sports star who I love to follow? He scored a couple of goals. So what, what's he saying about today? See, Nebuchadnezzar was a great man, the most famous of his day. And his statue, let me tell you, I think it would have looked awesome. I think it would have looked awesome. Me, idols are often attractive. Satan knows what he's doing when he's trying to draw us away from the one true God you'll find that idols are attractive. However, not everyone did as the king asked. Verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. I think that tells us very clearly there was absolutely no compromise. These men didn't kind of stand right at the back of the crowd. I don't want to get spotted, but I'm not bowing. <laughs> do you know, I just have a feeling if I was there, I'd kind of done a, yeah. Lord, I'm not bowing, but I'm just going to do it, just so I don't quite get spotted. I used to have this, um, from an early age, I try and encourage my children to do this, to, to say grace, um, yeah. even when they're at school. And when I was at work, uh, I'm going to try and pause at a, a company meal. I'm going, to say, I'm going to say thank you for the, the food that God's given me. And I realised I'd worked out this excellent technique of thank you, Lord, for my food, and mm-hmm. people won't ask any questions then because I'm, I'm just rubbing my eye. At, oh. That's not what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, is it? They were they were easily spotted. They stood there, living out their faith, no compromise, paid no attention to the king's law. Why? Well, because they knew it was directly opposed to two of God's Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I'm sure some of us know the Ten Commandments quite well. I wonder how many of us have ever heard a sermon on the fact that our God is a jealous God. I don't think I have. We, we hear lots about God's love, and rightly so, in our churches. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We hear lots about God's grace and his mercy. We hear some about God is just. That he is patient. But his judgment will come. We hear less about that in our churches. But how often do we hear about, actually, God is a jealous God. You see, God is jealous when we, his people, that he has made turn away from him and say i'm not interested god and we give our affection our worship to other things he is rightly jealous he has made us he has given us every possible reason to worship him including sending his only son and so when we don't worship him we're told in the bible god is jealous I think Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego knew this. They knew this. And they were decided to live out their faith and not bow down. To not compromise. Well, what about us? What about us? I wonder whether or not, do we ever try and hide away at the back of the crowd? Hope that no one spots us. When a, when a conversation is taking place in, in the classroom or in the playground, or with our neighbours. And actually it's on a topic that we know actually God's word is quite clear on. And we're going to do a Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah, don't you? You know, when he, the king spots him, that he's feeling sad. What does he do? He prays quick. Just feels like it's one of those quick arrow prayers. Lord, please help me. And then he answers. <laughs> well, that is great advice for all of us. Isn't it? I'm sure Shadrach Meshach are going to be, Lord, please help us. We're going to make a stand. Will we compromise or will we share something of the truth that we know from God's word in grace and love? I wonder whether or not we ever compromise, even in just a little, in what we say or what we type on a message or what we look at when we're with a particular group of friends. We wouldn't do that when we're with our our friends at church, but I'll compromise a little bit when I'm with these friends. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did not compromise Now, what about idols I wonder if if a chart listing how we've spent our time over the last week suddenly popped up on this wall behind me, you have got an overhead projector here and it came up this is how Malcolm Hoder spent his time over the last week I think I'll have to sit down What idols perhaps do we have in our lives? If we were to sort out our time, what priority does God have? What other things or what other people take affection away from God? (coughs) Are we making God jealous? That's a really difficult question to ask ourselves, but I think when we read a passage like this, we have to ask ourselves that question. You see, too, living out faith... Involves not compromising. Three, and we come here, it's not just about actions. It's not just about actions. You see, number three, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they boldly shared their faith. They boldly share their faith. That The three men are brought before the king and before they even have an opportunity to speak, you know, you try and put yourselves in their shoes. It just sounds... A desperate situation, does it? Verse 13 tells us really clearly that the king was in a furious rage. Look at the wording. It's not easy talking to someone who is in a rage. Let me tell you, I know I have a seven-year-old daughter. (laughs) But but more seriously, you know, let me ask, have you spoken, tried to speak to someone who is in a rage? It's not easy. Sometimes it's quite scary. And it's even worse. It's especially hard if you feel compelled to tell this person who's already in a rage something that they don't want to hear. Yet Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they boldly share their faith. Verse 16, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I doubt that had ever been heard in the king's palace in its history. We've got no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we, will, uh, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. It is one thing to be observed as a Christian. Let me tell you, it is a good thing. I remember um, my old uh, finance director, almost on the last day we were working together, uh, randomly asking, Malcolm I've noticed you've never sworn. Why is that? <laughs> oh, I was not very good. I never felt that able uh, an evangelist in the office. But there was something where unbeknown to me it should have just been observed. And then allowed a weaker evangelist in God's goodness to share something of my faith. It is good to be observed as a Christian but often when we're observed where it's going to lead to opportunities to share our faith. The question is, will we take those opportunities, whatever is at stake? 17th century minister and Bible commentator, Matthew Henry, he says this on this passage. I think it's excellent, really wise words. This is what Matthew Henry says. Fear of man and love of the world, especially lack of faith or want of faith, Make men yield to temptation, while a firm persuasion of the truth will deliver them from denying Christ or being ashamed of him. We are to be meek in our replies, but we must be decided that we will obey God rather than man. A firm persuasion of the truth will deliver us from denying Christ. You know, that is why this church uh, places God's word as a priority. If we have a firm persuasion of God's word, well then it will stop us. It will help us from denying Christ as his spirit teaches us. And then when we're under pressure, be it at school, be it with our neighbours, in the workplace, on the sports field. Knowing this, a firm persuasion of this will stop us from denying Christ. If we don't have a firm persuasion of God's truth, well, I think we are concede to the fear of man and the love of the world. And I, one of the wonderful things that we're taught, of course, in the, in the New Testament is that as a Christian, well, we also have this tremendous promise that, that God will always be with us. In fact, the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say on occasions. This is what we read in Luke chapter 12. Jesus says this to his disciples. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And that, as you see, has been the, the testimony of many, many Christians. I hope many many of us here can bear testimony to that. Sometimes it's been in anything from a conversation with a neighbour. I didn't know what to say, and yet God helped me. And I shared, so I was actually able to invite them to church. I was never expecting to do that, but God just gave me the right words to say. And then there are tremendous accounts. (laughs) Uh, People who have risked their lives, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and God has blessed them with a testimony of the gospel. You see, it is good to read and study the Bible. We need a firm persuasion of the truth. But I think it is also clear from Jesus' own words that we're not going to be able to prepare answers for every question that we're asked. There will be times when we must exercise faith. Just as um, Peter did on the day of Pentecost. You look at Acts chapter 2 and the disciples are accused of being drunk and he addresses the crowd. And full of the Holy Spirit, he just preaches this awesome sermon without without any notes. The Holy Spirit is the only way you can explain Acts chapter 2. In fact, the whole of the book of Acts. God is there with his people and he gives us the words to say. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego boldly share their faith. And, and lastly, they stood united in their faith. Look Look again at verses 16 to 18. 16 to 18. Notice that not only does verse 16 start by telling us this, this was a joint reply. There wasn't a spokesperson. This was a joint reply. But we read the words we, our, and us seven times in their reply. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us, five, from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. No hiding behind one uh, spokesman. There's no agreement, was there, actually, Shadrach, you stand for the faith this time, and we'll wait for other opportunities. Perhaps, individually, God knew, actually, they weren't strong enough to stand in and of themselves. You see, we're all made differently. But if we're a Christian here this evening, take much confidence from the Word of God, it tells us that he equips us for every good work. And I think one of the ways that he equips us is our brothers and sisters in Christ. I actually think when I come to look at the book of Daniel... And I think, why is this account of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego sitting alongside these individual acts of faith from Daniel himself? And I think it's a reminder that, yes, sometimes God will ask us to stand on our own like Daniel and bear testimony to him. But other times, especially as I look at the early church, more often than not, we can stand together with our brothers and sisters in faith. You see, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stood united in their faith. Back in 2014, I think it was, um, Better Together was the campaign slogan to try and convince Scots to remain part of the UK. Now, I have no idea whether or not Scots are better off being part of the UK or not. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) But that was their slogan, Better Together. I can tell you this, and I'm certain of this, though. We, as God's people, as his church, are better together. That is why he has built a church. That is the importance of being together. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, tells us to bear one another's burdens. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about spurring each other on to love and good works, encouraging one another. Don't give up meeting together. In fact, meet together more. Some people, sadly, complain about meeting twice on a Sunday. Actually, Hebrews tells us maybe we should be thinking about a third sermon now because we're getting nearer to the day of the Lord. Hebrews said do it even more. Meet together more as you see the day approaching. All across the New Testament, we are continually told to pray for each other. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they stood united in their faith. Well, who is in control of your destiny? Who's in control of your destiny? And if you're able to answer that this evening, it is God. God is in control of my destiny. How do others see that in your life? How do others see that? Well, think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's much we can learn. Little steps of faith prepare us for the bigger steps. We learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we cannot compromise We cannot compromise. We need to be willing when we're observed to share our faith. And we need to stand united in our faith. And our prayer is, isn't there, is that unbelievers, they wouldn't see us, but they would see the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Matthew 5, verse 16. um, May men see our light and praise God. Our Father in heaven. Sorry, I've overrun a little bit and it's warm today, isn't it? It's humid. But I just want to speak very briefly in closing to, to those which perhaps aren't a believer yet in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I think in some ways, chapter 3 is quite sad. You see this great example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what we see in in chapter 3 is that Nebuchadnezzar actually sees God at work through their faith, doesn't he? He may even see the Lord Jesus Christ himself in the midst of the fire. It's the second time in the book of Daniel that he sees God, Nebuchadnezzar. So you're thinking, surely he's going to come to faith. And it gets even better because not only does he see God, he acknowledges God. Verse 26, he calls Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego servants of the Most High God. Verse 28, he declares, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 29, he commands, Don't let anyone say anything against this God. So are God's is being revealed? Surely Nebuchadnezzar is going to come to faith. That's what I think when I'm reading chapter 3. But no. God remains, yeah, he's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's to be respected, but he's not my God. Now maybe someone here this evening is in the same position. You've started to see God at work in the lives of, of your friends who have become Christians and you rejoice in that and you're actually seeing God at work maybe um, you've started coming along to this church and you can't quite put your finger on it but there's something different about that place yeah, if God exists I, I have to acknowledge I think he's in you know, Free Grace Church Belvedere Baptist Church Belvedere but there's something very unique about the Bible I don't quite know what it is but I have to acknowledge it's more different than any other book that I've read. <coughs> Maybe you're starting to see and acknowledge God in creation around you. Yet like Nebuchadnezzar, you still don't actually recognise your own shortcomings before God. Your own sin, your own need to be saved. To be made right with God and that can only happen through Jesus Christ and Okay, well I'll carry on coming along, but I'm not yeah, I'm not, not prepared to trust Jesus yet myself. Well, if that's you tonight, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you even now, because wonderfully the account of Nebuchadnezzar doesn't stop in chapter three. And in chapter four, God himself, very directly and somewhat painfully for Nebuchadnezzar, humbles and rescues him. And I believe there is clear testimony of a believer. Right at the end. This is what we read in verse 37 of chapter 4. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth, and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to bring down. You see, God was wonderfully patient with Nebuchadnezzar. And he's still patient today. 2 Peter 3, God is patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. Because when Jesus does return, as he's promised to do so, it will be of no use to appeal to him on that day and say, well, I did see you. I saw you, God, at work in the lives of my friends. I I, I saw you at that church in Belvedere. Actually, I started to acknowledge you in creation. I thought, there's got to be a designer behind this. It can't all be here by chance. That's going to be of absolutely no use to you whatsoever. The only thing that will matter is whether Jesus is your God. Whether you have placed your trust in Jesus and his death on the cross for the payment for your sins. Let me pray, and then we're singing our last hymn. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you for how it instructs us. Oh Lord, I pray for those of us trusting in the Lord Jesus that you would help us this week to take those little steps of faith, to grow in our faith, to know that you are a good God who will stand by us in every single trial that we face. Lord, we pray that you would use those little steps as you so often do to prepare us for bigger steps of faith. Well, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here. Some may be going through a, a big trial right now. Lord, please, would you draw near to them and help them. Help us as your people to not compromise. Help us to share our faith boldly. And Lord, please, thank you for the unity that you've blessed this church with and your worldwide church with. It comes from you, it is not from us. And we worship you for it. And please help us to understand that we are better together. That is how you have planned it, and we praise and we worship you for it. And Lord, again, we would pray for any here who, like Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 3, say, well, I see God, I acknowledge God here, but aren't fully trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Saviour. Oh Lord, how we would pray that even now, that they would come to that position of Nebuchadnezzar at the end of chapter 4, and acknowledge you, Lord Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Saviour. We ask this in Jesus' name.